0: I think uh, Sony's brilliance is in seeing that meditation practice, instead of being a place to hide from these things, can be a place where you deal with them. Mm.
1: Right. Why we meditate.
0: Yeah, that's there one good go. reason.
1: Hey everyone, it's Raghu back with Mind Rolling with a very old friend, Danny Goldman. Danny, welcome. Raghu, it's always
0: a pleasure to do anything with you.
1: <laughs> Same here. We, we've we known each other an awfully long time. We were in Much India together. Yes. Maybe 50 years. Over. Yeah, Don't over. think about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I was thinking about that actually. Well, first of all, Danny, for those of you, uh, Danny's been on Mind Rolling and uh, yeah. over the years and uh, w- what I wanted to do today was highlight a book that came out last year uh, that Danny and Sokni Rinpoche, a great uh, meditation teacher, uh, wrote together and uh, somehow I had just come across it in the last month or so and then... I got a copy and I was like, wow, okay, we we got to talk about this. Because what I try and do here with this podcast is really give people a chance to have information that just really helps balance them on a day-to-day basis and oh, brings great. them more into unity. Mm-hmm. And uh, this has chock full of great, great information, teachings, and so mm-hmm. on. Um, so, uh, of course, Danny is... Uh, has, uh, boy, back in the day, was a New York Times science writer, right? You were writing and uh, and has written many books, uh, particularly, and I still go ahead and say to people, get emotional intelligence, okay, Danny's book, because it it is extremely efficacious for helping all of us on that subject because uh, we all have that issue
0: uh
1: one way or the other
0: we all have emotions that's right
1: yeah yeah and uh so anyhow but danny i was thinking about when we came back from india Mm. way back in the day uh we we i just it just the image appeared in my mind Mm. somehow we ended up at my father's horse farm just over the vermont border in quebec I'm from Montreal and we with our partners there was three couples uh, we all decided okay so we'll stay here for the summer and so what we did was we moved everything out of that house because my father had gone to India to to, uh, be with uh, Neem Karoli Baba with Maharaji and we moved everything out we were living on the floor because we were trying to recreate. We didn't want to lose that India vibe. So we recreated it here in, you know, in, in that uh, farmhouse, actually. You remember those days? My God.
0: I remember. In fact, my oldest son was born at that That's farmhouse. That's right. We had Covinda. several babies
1: born. Yeah, we, and yeah. Then, uh, yeah
0: um, which made him a Canadian citizen, which is cool.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, he's still got that duel, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
1: that's amazing. Um and my other recollection that appeared to me uh in brilliant color, another oh. of our satsang who was there, Mirabai Bush,
0: sure.
1: Uh, and she was having a baby as well. And in the middle of it, uh oh my god, this baby is preach what do, and, and the, um, I guess, the, the uh, nursemaid or whatever, the doula, could not come. It was just us in the room. And I, I'm sure you remember this going, okay, well... We have to get the Chicago manual, fireman's manual about how to deliver a baby. And there's you, Danny, sitting there reading and and instructing John Bush, the husband, (laughs) on what to do to turn that baby around. It was
0: was kind of crazy. What had happened was that uh, because my then-wife, Anasuya, had had no problem having a home birth, Mirabai, months later, thought, well, I'll do it too. She had gone to a <laughs> local obstetrician, who actually saw that it was breech birth, but didn't say anything because he assumed he'd be handling it in the hospital. Oh, I that, didn't know. I yeah, but instead, uh, we foolish young hippies were having a home delivery, <laughs> and breech birth is a very high risk birth, even in a hospital. Hmm. But miraculously, Owen, to this day, is just fine. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, he has a child of his own. So I think it it was successful. Yeah, it
1: all worked out.
0: Miraculously.
1: Yeah, but uh, Mm -hmm. we were something. I mean, talk about uh, either very courageous and a little bit dumb at the same time, right?
0: I I would say kids don't try this at home.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) Anyhow... um, so when I said I think before we got on, you know, I was able to familiarize myself a little bit more with Tsokani Rinpoche, a great great yes. uh, teacher. And I know others of us in the in our name Karoli Baba Satsang have mm. taken teachings from him. Yes. I didn't quite know how far back you you go with him, but I think you know it'd be great if you could just tell the uh listeners just what this family is about with the tulku well, starting there
0: yes and i actually met Sokni Rinpoche the day he came to america i was attending a retreat that was put together by another member of our satsang uh Suryadas. das mm. rongas came Uh, and it was at a a Zen center that he had rented in uh, the Catskills. Sokni flew in because he wanted to get some teachings from the Lama that Surya had brought there named Yoshu Ken. Yoshu Ken was a very famous, very uh, highly evolved Lama. Mm. And uh, Sokni um, became a friend from that time on. I then started arranging Uh, retreats for him in America Hmm. and he came you mentioned his family his family is extraordinary yeah really his father Chokur Ergen Rinpoche was one of the most renowned meditation masters to come out of Tibet Uh, and he had four sons each of whom are recognized reincarnations or tokus one of them being Sokini Rinpoche another being Choki Nima Rinpoche who I've also studied with who's remarkable Still another is Mingyur Rinpoche, who has a fantastic program, uh, online program. Uh, And then Choling Rinpoche, who uh, recently passed away. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, his son, Pak has become a teacher in his own right. Hmm. So uh, there's something going on in that family. I don't Hmm. know what, but it's pretty remarkable. Uh, Sokni has become a very close friend. He's visited with us pretty much every year. For a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, I had done a book with an, another friend, uh, Richard Davidson, who's a neuroscientist at Wisconsin, where we reviewed all the main findings on meditation. That book is called Altered Traits. And I gave a talk on that at uh, Sotny Rinpoche's invitation at a retreat. And he said, you know what, afterward, he said, uh, this would be a great book to put together meditation instruction. Which he provided for our book "Why We Meditate," with some of the scientific findings which I provided, uh, and that's that's the book you have today. Why we meditate? Mm. It's really how to meditate.
1: Uh, yeah, I want to. I have a comment about that, uh, but I want to say to everybody out there, uh, there's a uh, it's a biography, autobiography, I think, of uh, Toku Urgen Rimpache. Bl- brilliant splendor is that blazing it? Splendor. blazing splendor
0: it's a book i edited actually oh. uh, now this is interesting uh in that tradition humility is a great virtue and the more evolved you are the more humble you are so uh toko ergen's longtime translator eric um pema who's a danish guy uh said to toko ergen you know i think we'd like to write your biography and uh, that's a tradition in, in Tibetan uh, miniages. And Tolkien says, oh, I, I have no accomplishment. There's nothing to write about. I've done nothing interesting in my life. But Eric was very clever. He said, well, then tell me about the masters you met in Tibet. He said, oh, I can do that. So the book Blazing Splendor is really Tolkien's account of the masters in his family, starting with the first trolling Rinpoche, who was what's called a uh, finder of termas, lost mm. teachings, He founded a, a lineage, the Choling lineage. Choling's daughter, who I think is the grandmom of Tokurigin, she was a great meditator. Uh, her sons, who were teachers of Tokurigin, and many, many other amazing lamas that he knew about or uh, met over the course of a lifetime in Tibet. It's a great book, Blazing Splendor.
1: Really great book for anybody. And we'll put this in the show notes so you can easily yeah. find it. But for anybody interested at all in uh, Tibetan spirituality if you, in the most general sense, but um, the the combination of wisdom and humility and joy and mm. um, not taking oneself too seriously all, right. all of it is is really something else i mean um now why me why we meditate i don't know uh, this book yes it has a, a lot around meditation but sure. what struck me and in and, and the subtitle is the science and practice of clarity and compassion by the way here's the book
0: thank you
1: and um uh, It has so much in it dealing with the stuff we all uh, deal with on a day-to-day basis around neurotic tendencies, habitual patterns, um, the perspective that we see our lives and uh, and basically fool ourselves a lot Mm -hmm. in terms of our projections and so on. I mean, it has so much of that. And, uh, you know, I love uh, this story. (laughs) uh so he tells about he's somewhere i forget where maybe in singapore or something but he's just watching tv in his hotel room and he sees this ad you know these two shiny people you know with a product which turns yeah. out to be a um, a a computer an ipad type thing i think you know and he ends up getting it (laughs) and he he tells the whole story of how all of this thought process got followed through by virtue of being sucked into this you know this this commercial world and then in the end he takes it I think on on a trip through some very remote place and uh and of course the whole thing falls apart (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's so great so great um but uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about Danny. Uh, just right at the very uh, beginning of the book, I think uh, uh, he talks about um, how he was teaching meditation in a certain way and uh, he found that um, what was, his students weren't really getting it. I think because it, it just they were, in, they were absorbing this in a very intellectual way and it wasn't hitting into the core of their being. Can you talk about well, that really?
0: Yeah, actually, uh, as he tells it, it's really a difference between the traditional Asian uh, people he was used to teaching, Tibetans, mm-hmm. Nepalis, uh, and Westerners and those who are uh, kind of engrossed and caught up in modern life, fast pace, lots of things to do, lots of worries, lots of anxieties, lots of stress. Um, And he realized that people in the West would do better if he would address the things that we ruminate about, the things that keep us preoccupied, the things that get in the way when we meditate. And I have to say, uh, you know, he... As I mentioned, he often uh, yearly would come and stay with us for a few days. And one of the things he did, he's a voracious learner, was he talked to my wife Tara, Tara Bennett Mm. goldman about a book she had written called Emotional Alchemy, which is about the most common uh, neurotic patterns that people have. And he realized that he would do better in reaching his Western students if he addressed... These habitual patterns, emotional patterns that get in the way of our, you know, our meditation, our relationships, our lives. And so he developed, he, he put her thinking together with traditional Tibetan methods and came up with what he calls handshake practice. And handshake practice, you don't deny what's going on. You actually tune into it, uh, into these kinds of patterns. Uh, and he has a method for really befriending them, uh, which neutralizes them, in effect, mm. and helps you get into meditation. So I think this was, this was, by the way, a radical departure from the way uh, Tibetan teachings had traditionally been given. And so uh, from some point of view, I think it was maybe a little risky. But from oh. another, I think it really hit home for Western students because um, the Tibetan teachings have traditionally started with the assumption that we're all okay, which actually turns out not to be true.
1: <laughs> Wild understatement for us here yeah. in the West. Why, why do you think we have this, uh, you know, we could talk about a little bit, and you mentioned in the book spiritual bypass, uh, which is, seems to be a very pro, uh, prevalent uh, well, phenomenon uh, here for us in the right. West.
0: The concept of spiritual bypassing he learned from another student of his, John Wellwood, a late John Wellwood's sadly. And John saw that many people hide from their problems in meditation practice and spiritual work without facing them. And uh, so me, Rinpoche thought, hey, you know, it's really better if we just face what's going on and deal with it rather than try to hide it under the rug because it's going to come back and bite us.
1: Mm. Yeah, therein, dealing with the psychological aspects um, of our lives, I think particularly in, in the West, is, uh, is appropriate, very okay. appropriate.
0: Huh? Well, he, he found and has found that this really helps people much more than ignoring what's going on. Mm.
1: But uh, he, he, there's what I said earlier about there's some methodology here that can really help. He had, uh, mm-hmm. One of them, maybe you can describe the dropping practice. I mean, there's a well, way in the, which. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, dropping practice, actually, which is, I think, the first practice. In the book, he shares a whole series of practices. Yeah. I give it, I, really, I give it science. So the practices come from his side. But dropping is very dramatic. Uh, way to start a meditation because uh, there's a kind of physical, you know, you raise your hand and you just let them drop mm. to your knees. And with that, your mind clears for a second. Mm. And that opens a way to meditation instead of you know, saying, well, now I'm going to meditate and I'm sitting on my cushion, but actually I'm bringing all of my habitual thoughts along with me. Mm. He's kind of breaking that habit right at mm.
1: the start mm. yeah uh, that seemed like a great thing and and, and of course the b- breath practices which uh, are ext- you know getting yeah. getting from that uh, center piece of our belief in the I in our ego minds and getting it into well ramdas called it loving awareness i think it's really uh, very much uh, parallel uh,
0: ramdas and i uh, toward the end of his life had a very deep discussion about the similarities oh, yeah? between Tibetan practice and the notion of loving awareness. I am loving awareness, mm. which was his mantra. And uh, essentially in the Tibetan tradition, it's understood that in order to be truly compassionate, to be open to other people and their needs, uh, it, it, we need to let go of our own self grasping, our own ego. That's a loving awareness. The the awareness that lets you love is one that is not bound up by I, me, and mine. Mm. Uh, you mm. know, the usual thoughts that we build our self-concept out of. So a lot of Tibetan practice has to do with uh, deconstructing, as we'd say in the West. Letting go of all that. I'm not denying it, but not clinging to it either. Mm. Letting it come, but letting it go. Mm. And that's very important. And particularly... Uh, In the cultivation of, they they see that kind of, what they call emptiness, which is letting go, as essential to compassion, which is being open to the needs of others.
1: Mm. Have you heard uh, Krishna, our good buddy, talk about the movie of me? You wake up in the morning and you're the chief protagonist yeah. and the writer and the producer and and you even write your own reviews. <laughs> it's so fun. What he I does actually
0: that. I had dinner with Krishnadas last night.
1: Oh really? Oh no. Nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We were in the movie on the we didn't talk about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, that's so great. So the uh, beautiful monsters. Now, do I love that expression. Oh, oh. That is so great. But, I mean, he, he talks uh, uh, about mindfulness going wrong. I mean, I thought that this was a very uh, particularly uh, apt oh. um, in, insight to make, especially with us in the West where we are so fundamentally uh, oriented towards achievement. And what does he say? I was mindful of, of of every thought but didn't know what to do with them. This is when he was younger, right? Just noticing is not enough. It's good, but we need more. It's a powerful tool, but it needs to be complemented with other qualities to become balanced, to be an actual path. Uh, I learned we need loving kindness, practice, insight, and integrity. Yeah, talk about that. I mean, that's... Uh, well,
0: you mentioned beautiful monsters, which is his concept, Um hmm. Tara in Emotional Alchemy was was talking about the same patterns, but then he amplified the concept to anything that grabs us habitually, that we ruminate about, that takes us over, that, that, that keeps us from really letting go. And he calls these beautiful monsters. They're monstrous because they keep us in their grip. They become beautiful when we can make friends with them, as he puts it which is to ha- let them come up, say, oh, here you are again, my friend, but not be captured by them. Then you can let them go. Mm. So that's that's his concept, beautiful mm. monsters.
1: Yeah. Ram had some sideways thing around that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he talked about uh, his schmooze. He yeah. got the schmooze, they got down to little schmooze, from big schmooze sure. to little schmooze, and that was all about perspective and... Uh, opening up some spaciousness. Well, you
0: know, there's a certain generational uh, divide here because
1: mm.
0: people born after a certain year never saw Al Cap's cartoon strip, Little Abner, which oh, yeah. featured the Shmoo. Oh, right. Uh, the, that's where Ramdas got the notion of a Shmoo. Mm. A Shmoo is a little uh, kind of um, bowling pin-shaped being that uh, kind of gets... Grabs you and hugs you and won't let go. And Ramdas said, "Well, we all have our schmooze," uh, and he's talking about the same kind of emotional habits, emotional patterns that we can't let go of. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's the same concept, just different language. Yeah,
1: yeah. But everybody, we can um, create a friendship with these schmooze guys (laughs) beautiful (laughs) monsters
0: yeah and and uh, it's
1: possible it is possible And the
0: the friendship is marked by being able to say oh here you are again welcome and i don't need you and i'm letting you go Hmm.
1: have a cup of tea maybe first
0: before you go sure if you want
1: yeah um I think his uh, also in his comments in this particular chapter, but uh, he talks about relative truth having two dimensions: functional, authentic relative truth, and distorted, deceptive relative perception. I think uh, for everyone to have an idea of this relative to how our perspective on our lives, I think, is really important. Maybe talk about that.
0: What he's referring to there is actually, I think, something he got from a conversation with Tara because she was grounded in the integration of mindfulness and cognitive therapy. She was the first to write about that. Now it's very popular. But in cognitive therapy, uh, one of the goals is to identify the the distortions in your thoughts, like nobody loves me. Mm. Well, actually, people do love you. So the nobody loves me is... uh, the, the relative truth which is distorted and the fact that actually you are lovable and people do love you and have loved you is the more uh, realistic truth in it. So he's talking about those two aspects of relative truth. And by the way, the complicated little relative truth is contrasted in the Tibetan model with ultimate truth, hmm. which is beyond words, which is non-dual. But he's he's not talking about that here in the book. He's talking about uh, you know the distortions that we all bring to these uh, emotional patterns. It's it's in in cognitive therapy and therapy generally, they try to help us identify where our thinking is distorted and straighten it out, or or uh, find a thought which is contrary to it, which is objectively true.
1: Yeah, very important. Because we all get so caught up in in our belief system around this, to the little and you know these
0: personal belief systems are often shaped when we're just children, Mm. and they're very hard to shape. They're lifelong. Uh, I mean, in Tara's book Emotional Alchemy, she names uh, the fear of abandonment, uh, a sense of emotional deprivation that nobody empathizes with you or cares about you. Mm. Uh, You know, these are very primal kinds of. Uh, habitual patterns and they play out in our adult relationships in different ways so if you have fear of abandonment you may uh, be the first to jump out of a relationship because you're afraid that person is going to leave you it it shows up in all kinds of ways so he's trying to help bring this to the meditation path to a spiritual path in in the book why we meditate yeah
1: Boy, deconstructing all of that stuff from earliest uh, patterns that are created. Yeah. From the moment you get your name and, oh, wait, I'm a separate <laughs> entity now. Right.
0: Oh, yeah. But here have some uh, conditional love. We'll love yeah. you if you do this and if you do that. Right. The unstated thing is we won't love you if you don't. And yeah. that shapes a child very powerfully. Yeah.
1: It's yeah. kind of amazing when you think about it, which is... Uh, and I always you know hear his holiness dalai lama talk about what is so important going forward for our for the world for the mm. for mm. for humans is developing is is mothers having compassion he said that's why i am i mean you've heard him and heard him you've been because there. of his own mother yeah because of his yeah. own
0: mother Who was very loving what he's talking about is a certain kind of uh, caring parenthood, I think, mm. which then helps a child feel um, innately secure as they go through life, which is very important, really important. That's that's the best foundation for loving kindness or compassion.
1: Yeah. Mm. Boy, we're in such a tough, tough World, aren't we, Mm -hmm. where being able to cultivate that seems quite difficult.
0: Well, I mean, that's why a lot of people go into therapy, but I think uh, Sotny's brilliance is in seeing that meditation practice, instead of being a place to hide from these things, can be a place where you deal with them.
1: Mm. Right. Why we meditate. That's one good reason. Yeah, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) Um, well, let's let's turn to the um, his thoughts around what he calls essence love, which could also be mm. unconditional love. But it, but maybe uh, it'd be good mm-hmm. for you to characterize what well, he's I, talking about.
0: I think his essence love is very similar to Rambas's loving awareness. Mm. Actually, uh, it's an awareness which is not conditional. Which just loves people as they are, which is compassionate, which means that person's not ego-bound uh, but they so they can be open to the needs of others and they can be caring and concerned about those needs that's that's compassion hmm.
1: so I think back to our time with Neem Karoli Baba and being quite young and our early 20s for most of us. Some of us were older, like Rambas. Uh, and, and encountering that um, n- a non-polarized place, I would call it, where there's no us and them in this being, and there was just a pool of that you could enter into by virtue of just being in in, in that presence that uh, essence, love was a good way to state. I mean, uh, sure. you know, just, just oh, how yeah. we, you know, what we felt. I mean, well, what, what was your experience?
0: So I think uh, Maharaja, named Koli Baba, w- w- was kind of stabilized in essence love. Hmm. He was just there. Hmm. And you felt that aura when you were with him. And it was contagious, I think. Uh, our friend Larry Brilliant put it really nicely. He said, the miracle wasn't that he loved us, mm. but that when we were with him, we loved each other. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Extraordinary, really. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So uh, the the reality that we had, um, how should I say it, a real rudder for the rest of our lives mm. to be able to... Um, understand beyond intellect mm. what that mm. unconditionality was i mean when i i say this a billion times when i first met ramdas um the day that i met him and, and we were just alone in in this house that he was staying in in montreal and uh there was this sense of i'm not here for richard or ramdas
0: mm. there's
1: just a pool here that we can be and whatever you need is uh-huh. available and uh-huh. it was it created this trust uh, intuitive trust that led me uh to go uh-huh. to india at that time and uh i understood uh the reality of course of what was happening in that moment once i met neem karoli baba then i understood oh shit that's what Ram ramdas was about
0: <laughs> oh this is it right.
1: yeah And uh, to to it's it's interesting because people would say, well, you got there, you got right in it, and now what's what's the problem? What's the problem? Right after all these years, decades, you know, what what is the problem with you still? Having neurotic stuff going on and you you yeah, haven't exceed- yeah. you know you haven't transformed those habitual patterns and and it's called a life All right yeah. and uh i uh i i just i just think um what uh he uh took me, took me um equates this essence love one of the ways and which he characterizes it is okayness, a certain okayness, oh, right? Nice. Do you remember him yes. talking about that?
0: Yes. Uh, that's the felt sense of ha- having essence love or being in essence love. This sense of I'm okay, okayness, not just with myself, but with things as they are. Uh, and
1: mm, very uh, important, right thing, with things being as reactive, they are. Yeah.
0: It's equanimity, I think. Yeah. Um, And that's one of the signs of this. And I think uh, it's one of the uh, signs that a a being has kind of uh, found their way into essence love and stayed there. Uh, One of the, um, I don't know how to put this, but, you know, having been within Crowley, uh, Baba gives you a North Star. He's mm, of uh, what yeah, to aspire yeah, to. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean you're instantly there where he is. This is why Unfortunately,
1: as well, by the way.
0: This is why I got interested in meditation. I went to Bogaya. Did you go to Bogaya?
1: No, I wasn't in Bogaya with you. I went later.
0: Went I later. was in
1: yeah. uh, Sri Aurobindo Ashram where you all oh, were. Bulkaya. okay. Yeah.
0: Anyway, it doesn't matter. But many people uh, in the Nimkoli Satsang ended up in Bogaya studying Vipassana, Vipassana which mm. is where mindfulness comes from. Mm. And uh, my feeling was that I, I wanted to work with my own mind and bring it somewhere nearer to where Nikolai Baba's mind was. And that seemed to be a path that might go there. Uh, and um, I think that uh, one reason I've been happy studying with Sopni and his family is that I think that this is a, a well established pathway to that loving awareness or to that sense of okayness from mind essence. Mm.
1: I love that word, uh, just okayness. You know, yeah. people have trouble with love. and well, What's essence? <laughs> what does that mean? But right. okayness, we all understand. <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: It, you, we can be there. That yeah. can
0: happen. And, you yeah. know, it, I think we're all there from time to time, moment mm. to moment. The question is, can we be there more? Can we be there in our relationships? Can we be there in our most difficult relationships? Can we be there when we're alone? Can we stabilize? Hmm. Um, yeah. th- these are all aspirational.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, by the way, you talk about Tara, uh, Tara's book, Danny's wife. Um, just uh, whoever's doing the show notes here, let's make sure we get that book into um, a connective tissue uh, for people nice. to be able to find it on uh, in in the podcast.
0: It's called Emotional Alchemy. Yeah. Mm.
1: Where is she? We should bring her into this right now. <laughs> 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 uh, um, so he he goes further into uh and in, in talking about essence love. Um he talks about the expression of love, you know, which is directed outwardly and and everybody is way familiar with, you know, what that means, you know, related to romantic love and parental love and so on. Um, I I think I remember... Either doing something with Ram Dass, with a few other people at some retreat or or, or something like that where we talked about, uh, you know, people were dismissing romantic love or the love of oh. uh, parental yeah. love or friendship love oh. um, as that's not the thing. The thing is completely, it's got to be unconditional love or it's nothing. But isn't it true? The reality is all of all love has in it a, a kernel, a seed, of that essence.
0: Love is that not true? That's very nicely put, and I think that uh, all of them are on the same spectrum. It's all love, but I I think that the uh, defining difference of our a way to think of progress along that spectrum toward essence love is, whether, is the degree of ego clinging. Mm.
1: Um,
0: mm. I love you because you love me, yeah. for example. Or I just love you. Those are two very different statements, two yeah. different ways of expressing love. Yeah.
1: I mean, he talks about, um, this is something, I haven't heard this term before, the opposite of essence love being hollowness. Mm-hmm. That's uh, uh, an interesting concept. Talk about
0: that. Well, with essence love, you have that sense of okayness, which means you're fine as you are. The sense of hollowness is that no matter what you have, no matter how much money or how much fame or how, much, how many lovers you have, you feel uh, empty inside. It's not enough. So that's a kind of a inner desperation, Mm -hmm. a hollowness. Mm -hmm. And I think it also is too common in modern life. You know, sometimes people feel it as loneliness. Sometimes they feel it as a yearning for something that they can't quite name, no matter what they get and no matter what they have. I have a a friend who uh, is a wealth advisor. That means... He tells rich people how to manage their money. And many, many wealthy people, he is advocating something he calls true wealth, which is not being able to make a lot of money, but having friends, having rich relationships, having a spiritual life. In other words, not defining yourself by one strand of success, but by having a fuller life in itself.
1: A little bit unusual for the money manager I don't know, wealth management
0: yeah well good luck to him
1: yeah no absolutely that would be revolutionary if that could start a trend um, but either he or uh, sokni or you talk about um, memories of unconditional love i I've always thought and I've said to people whenever we've had this kind of a discussion um Particularly if they say, well, you've met Neem Karoli, Bob, you've met great teachers of from in one way or another, mm. but uh, are those teachers available? Well, they are. Here's someone like Tokney who's available and his, his whole
0: family. Is, sure. Certainly and many great teachers come to teachers. The, uh, the West mm. pretty regularly.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. So that's possible. Um, but I always say it's a matter of tuning into that intuitive yeah. trust place yeah. Yeah. and how how can that happen that can happen because it's 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 first of all it's not necessarily physical although yes you can get a transmission from a physical teacher but you know you you might have heard a piece of music and that suddenly put you into a state oh. where you were not polarized there wasn't mm, that mm. me and them kind of thing going uh-huh. on or read a book or uh, you just saw krishna or you know be at a Das uh, chant concert and uh-huh. suddenly a moment i mean i've heard people um, i have so many people actually were had no idea about chanting or anything just happened somebody dragged them into one of his things his concerts and, and then he would do what's called the Hanuman Chalisa, 40 verses in praise of the monkey god, you know, which is oh, you know, oh. part of our whole legacy. Never, they'd never heard it before and then suddenly they find themselves deeply uh, weeping or, or deeply absorbed. Oh. These kinds of things, uh, psychedelics of course is another uh, major oh, oh. way, these kinds of things get integrated in your being, and you—you, you, they're a resource for that intuitive trust. Wow, this is—it is, I have experienced it. It is real, and I—I I can relate with it in different situations yeah. as I go forward. I mean,
0: true. Well, I think um, the most valuable part of such experiences as you eloquently describe them, uh, is that you now know there's more than ordinary awareness. There's more than normal consciousness. There there are other possibilities uh, that have their own kind of richness, and there are paths to those possibilities. The reason I like and continue to like meditation uh, is that it's a well-worn path toward a more lasting sense of exactly what you're describing.
1: Mm, Yeah. And uh, I think it's said in here that these moments trigger what uh, Tzokni calls essence love. Mm. Any of these moments, and they can be casual. um, But he also says,
0: I don't know if he says it in this book, but he does say that uh, these moments give us a glimpse of what's possible They don't stabilize us in that. It's not like we're there forever. Uh, And um, I think we need to work on our minds to do that.
1: Do you remember, uh, uh, Krishnadas told me this, that Maharaji said to some Westerners at one time, I've done everything for you. I leave Mm -hmm. you the mind. Mm -hmm. And everyone, there was a collective, oh
0: God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But here we are, right? And this is what this book represents us dealing with the mind and using meditative and other perspective practices.
0: Exactly. What's interesting to me is that the uh, Satsang, who were those who are originally Westerners who were originally with Ingrali Baba. Each have found their own path and, you know, their own reality about this. And, uh, you know, if you ask 20 satsang members what to do, you will get 25 responses for sure. Mm. There's no uniformity, no one thing. You know,
1: I would say, though, I mean, Mm. obviously the classic uh, representation of the path of bhakti yoga, the yoga of devotion is there you know and uh, that's
0: a commonality
1: that's a commonality yeah you know what the other commonality is to me danny is um the power of discriminative discriminative wisdom which Mm. emanating from buddhist uh perspective um i mean look at all those um you know the retreats that we used to have in in Maui well we still do actually uh-huh. and now we're doing one in Boone uh, North Carolina as well uh-huh. um, they all always had and this was you know certainly Ramdas's uh in input very much so most of his friends his deep close friends aside from the people he was in India with with Neem Karoli uh-huh. with Maharaji, were buddhist Roshi Joan Halifax, you know, Jack Cornfield, Sharon Salzberg, Uh, uh, on and on and on. So there was a place in which it felt comfy for him to have these people there. And then whenever he would, he would start talking about soul. And then as soon as he mentioned the word, he'd look over next to him at one of the Buddhist teachers. Uh. Like, oh, I'm so sorry that I mentioned. They would (laughs) laugh. (laughs) <laughs> so but, but the truth is, most of us did go through that Vipassana training, even if men you know many of us perhaps did not follow through mm, with it. Mm. It's been a stable thing for me all of these decades. Mm. Uh, and I think for many people, uh but the discriminating wisdom uh, part of it, I think is is a uh a real uh asset on the spiritual path. That in, I mean, you know, there's that famous story Krishnadasa and I had a bum knee, and uh, and we were in Brindavan and told, Don't come to see Maharaji at the ashram there. And but he said, Listen, you got to help me, I got to get over there. This is, I don't know what to do, I'm in such pain. So we went over there and we sat down with him, and uh, you know, it's a famous thing where Maharaji got up and Went across the courtyard and started limping. And Krishna said to me, I bet he's, you know, he's going to help me out. And he did. And then he sat down, never said a word about it. And then Krishnas had a, um, his diary and he had uh, written some passage from Mahamudra, you know, famous Buddhist uh, text. And Maharaji had the translator translate a few lines of it. And when he did, he went, teak. That's right, Uh and then flipped the page, and there was a big picture of him. And he said to us, "Who, who's that?" And we go, "Yeah, you're just jiving us, you know." And we said, "It's you." He said, "Nay, Buddha." Uh That has stuck with both of us, you know, forever. Uh, And the and the highest praise he ever gave about other quote unquote saints, teachers, or whatever, were Tibetans.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I do know that, uh, according to Girija, another satsang member, yeah. uh, the 16th Karmapa, who is very highly esteemed Tibetan, said of Ningkroli, he's a Mahasiddha.
1: Yeah, which, I heard that. Which is
0: the highest praise. Yeah. Yeah. So there seems to be a convergence of uh, the Buddhist path and uh, this version of bhakti. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, we don't have much time left, but I I, <laughs> I love it. There, there's some little phrases that, that he comes up with, Tokney, um, and this one's called California Compassion. Uh-huh. I love that. It is so right on, uh, but it's, it's under a chapter called Willingness to Suffer. Now, here's something that we are not very good at. At all, you know, as much as uh, I think Maharaji said, suffering brings grace, basically. Uh, But it's uh, a difficult thing. Talk about that.
0: Well, everyone wants to avoid suffering. Uh, But people who suffer uh, can learn great compassion. I think that's what that refers to. Uh, California compassion, remind me
1: what he means by that. Oh, he was saying, I like to tease people who live in California because it's so beautiful. Here I am sitting in Ojai, California, like talk (laughs) about lovely and beautiful. Um, He said, uh, one night a spiritual man living in California was getting ready for bed. He lit some incense and did a few minutes of compassion, quote-unquote compassion meditation, before climbing under his soft organic sheets. Oh, I, I wish I... Um, yeah. Is he in this country
0: right now? Sorry. No, he's in Nepal. Right he's now. in Nepal. Yeah, he's made a Nepal. Uh-huh. Or he has a base, he has a monastery there. Uh huh. And, right. really, yeah.
1: and his brother Minger also has one in Nepal. In yeah, Kutland, very close right? to him. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He wanted to feel fresh and look good the next morning, so it worked. So he was looking towards a beautiful, restful sleep. But then the phone rang, and a friend was really sick and asked the man could take her to the hospital. He took a deep breath. Part of him wanted to be the kind of person who did that. But he also wrong, he really wanted to sleep well and feel fresh in the morning. The desire for good rest won, and he apologized in a soothing voice. That's so funny. And said he couldn't do it, but he really hoped she found something to take her. Really hoped she felt better. That's California compassion for you.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. exactly.
1: <laughs> uh, oh, God, we are something.
0: Krishnadash no. uh, just came back from a retreat with Garchan Rinpoche. Yeah, yeah. Garchin Rinpoche is quite an old, uh, I think he's in his 80s now. Yeah. He was in a Chinese concentration camp for 20 years.
1: I know. I actually was, was fortunate to meet him, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe 15 years ago. I actually yeah. was his driver when he was really? teaching in, in Los Angeles. For, then you uh,
0: know, he radiates compassion. Yeah. Having gone through deep, deep, unbelievable suffering
1: unbelievable
0: yeah
1: yeah I mean where does oh, it yeah. come from with the, the 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 these people the Tibetans Well, uh,
0: he had a practice which was to to see his own suffering uh, in an almost Christ-like way as uh, atoning for everyone's sins, including his own, and to be compassionate even toward his torturers hmm. because they were human beings too. Now that's an amazingly difficult and powerful kind of practice to have. And the situation he was in gave him too many chances to practice. Hmm. All too many. Yeah.
1: He met his guru in, in, uh, in prison, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, or, yeah yeah
1: yeah, monks. oh boy, anyhow, there's so much more in here. we could go on uh for quite some time uh, this book mm-hmm. is uh, is just chock full of helpful stuff, so everybody i uh listening, I highly recommend it um, I've actually uh in recent past, I mean I see a lot of books come across because uh, publishers are sending me stuff for people to do podcasts uh, all the time mm. Mm. Um, and th- this book is as notable to me as Pema Trojan How We Live is How oh. We Die oh. that that I actually went to India gee we haven't even talked, yeah I was in India last October sitting in front of Tree Shul, and I was just around where you were where we were in um, Gosani
0: Oh really? Right, and
1: you really? had that little cottage. We were up in the in the Gandhi yeah, sure. ashram, and you yeah, had the cottage yeah. below with Anasuya. Yeah, I was right. I found a place just oh, you know a mile down the road
0: or really? something,
1: smack well. in front of Trishul, and the whole <laughs> arc of the Himalayas. That's a and whole I, other
0: conversation, which yeah. I hope we have one day.
1: Yes, we will. <laughs> so I highly recommend this uh, in the same way that I. I recommended uh, Pema Chodron's book. Thank you. Thank you for putting this together with Sokni. And I hope actually to to meet him one day. I hope to try and keep track of when that... uh, I mean, actually, Krishna Das told me he's giving a retreat at the end of August or something.
0: Actually, he's changed it to fall. Oh, really? September, I think. Oh. Oh, no, no. He had to cancel that. Uh, It's going to be in April now.
1: April 24.
0: I don't know the date. Yeah. yeah. It's next worth year. doing. He's one of those great teachers who comes to the West regularly, and anyone who wants to meet a great teacher,
1: there you go. sign up.
0: There yeah. you go. No, there absolutely. are
1: many. Luckily. Yeah. 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 That's mm-hmm. so great. So great to see you and hang out, Danny. Thank you so much for being here. My Uh, pleasure. Yeah, everybody, this is Mind Rolling on the Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. And Danny and my friends are all over that network. (laughs) So uh, enjoy, and we'll see you uh, next week.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.